I want to just take a few moments to share with us a message that God has put on my heart. It's meaningful to me because it came from uh, where I've been, being a difference maker. And uh, I don't know about you, but um, you know, we all want to make an impact. We all want to make a difference. And in our uh, study, as we open God's Word today, we want to see especially what Jesus says about being a difference maker. Um, so uh, let me just share that with you. If you want to join me in the book of Matthew, and I think we've got that on, the book of Matthew uh, should be our, uh, book of Matthew should be our first uh, verse here. Matthew, the 25th chapter. Uh, gonna, it's on the screen, going to read some of those through with us, and then we're going to look at Luke chapter 10 and see what we can learn in terms of what Jesus says about being difference makers. Word of God says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, the sheep, come, you who are blessed of my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to what? I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you did what? You took me in, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, and you look after me. I was in prison, and what did you do? Finally, he says, then the righteous, the sheep, said to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you and thirsty and gave you something to eat? When did this happen? When did we see you as a stranger and you invited you in? Or needing clothes and clothing you? You? When did that happen? When did we see you sick or in prison and visited you? Verse 40. The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of these, the what? The least. The least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to who? You did it to me. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. As we open your word, we thank you that you can connect us with what you said thousands of years ago. Oh God, these are not just the words of scripture, but these are recorded the words of Jesus. As he taught and he concluded, preparing his disciples and preparing us for his soon coming. We thank you for what your spirit can remind us of, can teach us, and energize us to live. For that, O oh God, we give you glory. May your words be lived out in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Can you remember when somebody made a difference in your life, did something you didn't expect or you needed? Could you remember one of those occasions? Think real quick, think real fast. And, and it really impacted you. It gave you, uh, again, faith that not everybody is bad, faith in humanity. It stirred you up and it, it, it gave you that. You remember when somebody surprised you? <laughs> For me, I can remember a couple of things I'll share with you. I started school not being able to speak at all. That's why I use my hands so much. I could write. I could point, but I couldn't speak. But I started school with my parents praying, Lord, 
help Leroy to be able to speak. They would pray. <laughs> I would start at school and I come home and of course I'm in school and I'm hearing kids speak and uh, the excitement of starting school and yet um, the sad feeling and the embarrassment of not being able to say a word. <gasps> there were grunts. <laughs> there were all kinds and many kids laughed and and but I remember my kindergarten teacher, I was in the Cayman Islands. <laughs> my parents were missionaries in Cayman, Trinidad, Jamaica, England, and so forth. I started school, and I remember with all that going on, a teacher came, and she made a difference. She got me to sit. She didn't point me out. She would take time after every lesson session and go through that with me. And she quickly learned that I could cognitively understand. I could read, but I couldn't speak what I could read. So she personalized my first two years of school so I would not be discouraged, but encouraged. I still remember Mrs. Jarrett. Because <laughs> when kids laughed at me, I could go back and she'd hug me. <laughs> or I remembered how, um, in fact, uh, my brothers and sisters never remember a time that I couldn't communicate. They will tell you that I couldn't speak, but they knew what I was saying. All right. So I remember how they and Miss Jarrett and other friends encouraged me, even though there were others who laughed and embarrassed me. Could you remember times when somebody made a difference? That was one of my times. Fast forward, I was in college. I started um, in my master's, a graduate program, and, and, and I'd, 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 I'd used up my student loans and I was barely making it. And, 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 making ends meet, giving a little bit of gas in my car, was working for a church up the road and, 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 and all of that. I, and I remember a Friday afternoon hurrying home because I had to go to Benton Harbor, which is a close town to Andrews University. We were doing a community program and getting some supplies. <laughs> and, and I went down the stairs to my little apartment and I saw three bags of groceries. I don't mean little snack bars or candies or a little tomato. I mean everything. <laughs> Those three were big bags. It was like moving to get them in the door. Somebody had thought, hey, let's bless him. And then there was a note. I hope you enjoy these. They were grapes. They were tomatoes. They were, you know, the somebody did some homework. They knew what I like to eat. <laughs> And some was already prepared. I just had to warm them up and other things I could cook from scratch. And, and I was young and single. And, and, and I remember occasions. Did you remember when somebody made a difference? There are many memories. And some of them, if we were truthful, would bring some tears and some would make us laugh. But others have made a difference for us. Different makers is not a new concept. Because we've seen individuals in our families. We've experienced when individuals have made a difference for us. We have had opportunity to impact the lives of others uh, to a less or greater extent. So we know what Jesus is talking about. We have an idea of that. And I hope some thoughts or stories came to mind. And, and, and I hope that with what I'm asking you now over lunch or sometime this weekend, you could kind of rehearse of how God had orchestrated individuals, call them good, call them saints or angels, that they were right on time 
with what you needed. It was kind of like that with my dad. My dad was 17. He got baptized and his stepfather kicked him out of the house and he was alone and he went to our uh, Adventist college in Jamaica. He wanted to register. He went in and he had only had a few dollars in those days. He was call-portering and doing what he can and he went and he didn't have enough and he came out and, and they said, okay, we're going to sign you up for the classes, but you've got a week to come up with a certain amount. And he walked out hopeful but discouraged and his head was down and he came across a gentleman who was visiting from Ireland. His name was Mr. Maloney. And he said, son, you looked a little discouraged. What's going on? He said, what's your name? He said, well, my name is Manley and I'm trying to get into school. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to register as a ministerial student, uh, but I just can't make it. Mr. Maloney said, what did you say your name is Manley? Come with me, Manley. Mr. Maloney was an Adventist businessman visiting that campus and doing business and helping to promote Christian education and happened to be there when my dad was going this way and he was going this way. He spotted him and he had the heart and he had the resources. He said, come with me. He went to the registration and he paid for my dad's first year of college and said, Manly, I don't, wa I, I don't want you to worry, <laughs> all right? When it gets to the next year, your next year will be. And he paid for all four years of my dad's college education. That's why my middle name is Maloney. I don't like the sound of it. I didn't like it, but it's meaningful. Mr. Maloney made a difference in my dad's life. Well, you've had those people, right? When Jesus comes and he said, listen, <laughs> here it is. We're, we're students of the Bible, right? So Matthew chapter 24 is Jesus saying, here are the signs of the end. Now, signs, many times we confuse. Many times we as Christians, when we read and study the signs of the Bible, we can't do anything about the signs. They're just warnings. If you hear thunder, you can't do anything about it. All you can do is your reaction to them. There are indicators to prepare for what's coming. I was leaving the hospital the other day and I ran in and it started raining and I uh, uh, got home and I had some things out and I saw the rain here, the thunder coming down. That was a few weeks back. We had some good rain out here and I had some things setting up. I had just enough warning to get them into the garage outside so they wouldn't get wet. So signs, Matthew 24, Jesus said, here are the signs of my coming. And they are to remind you to get close to me and be prepared. Now, in chapter 25, Jesus doesn't talk about signs. All right? He doesn't talk about signs of his coming. He talks specifically about how you can prepare for my soon coming. So in Matthew 25, he gives the first part. He gives uh, the parable of the ten version. Five wise, five foolish. He said, here is something that will prepare you for my coming. Be filled with the Spirit, symbolized by the oil. Remember, five had extra oil. The others didn't, and so they ran out. And so when the bridegroom came, they missed out. All right. And then he gives a second set of parables there. He talks about those given bags. All right. They're giving uh, talents. And he said, I'm giving you talents, gold, silver, whatever. He said, now I'm the owner, so I'm giving them to you. I want you to invest them and manage them. So when I come back, I expect a return. I'm a good businessman. I'm God. I not only love souls, but I expect to return on my investment. And so when he comes back, some had multiplied them and some have just hit them. And he said, foolish you are. I'll take away what I gave to you. And so, so he said, here's what I know. Number one, here's how you prepare for my coming. Number one, 
be filled with my spirit, extra oil. You cannot be ready for the kingdom of God. In fact, you will not make it through the end of time. It's not the prophecies. It's good to know it, but it's being filled with the spirit. And so the second indicator is that you manage my resources well. What are the gifts I've given you? What are the resources I've given you? Have you been selfish with them? Have you managed them? Have you multiplied them? <laughs> Told you a little bit about my family. Got uh, uh, Lorraine, my wife, um, Shibli, our daughter, Casey and Kareeb, our sons. And in my family, everybody is a great swimmer except me. I can get to the other side of the pool out of breath and then you call the ambulance. But the others, they are not only fish, they are dolphins. They play in the water. In fact, we lived in Chicago for years, and, and, and they didn't go to the beach part. They jumped off the rocks and swam in the deep. I'll get out there. Water's cold. I get back in, climb out, and I watch them. <laughs> you know, everybody's given different talents. Not only are they good swimmers, they're all musicians. And I told you, I make a joyful noise. But we find that God has given all of us a bag of talents. That may be a way with people, a smile. That may be our skill, our training. But what he's given us, he expects us to multiply them and make them better. All right? They may be our children. All right? They may be uh, uh, the connections we have. Some of us are good at having great connections. All right? I've got some people at the hospitals because I work with the community. I'm new out here. And I go and I say, hey, I need your help. I've got to make some connections to some of the organizations, people in the community. Because I'm new, I know, but you've got to. We all have talents. And so Jesus says to be ready for my coming. Number one, be filled with my spirit, Matthew 25. Number two, multiply my talents. Use what I've given you. Be kind to people. Don't hoard it. Be selfish with it. And the third thing he says is this. This parable, where he tells, he said, now this parable, it's a scene at the judgment, the end of time. The king comes and he's separating the good from the bad, the sheep from the goats. And if you don't know a little bit about, uh, goats will eat anything. I grew up in the island, so goats will eat anything, plastic, garbage, anything. Go sheep now only eat grass and the best grass. Now, sheep can be dumb, and we have a lot of things to say, but here's the concept of it. Jesus said, I'm going to separate my sheep, representing the righteous, and the goats, representing the unrighteous, those who will be lost. Now, notice what this says now. He says here, as we look at it, he said, here is how you know. Filled with the Spirit, you use my resources well. Here's the third parable he gives. And Jesus does these parables so well, you think of the real story. For example, the parable... Of the prodigal son. <laughs> All right? You think it's a real story. Told so well, but it's a parable. Certainly could have happened. Everything right in the context of that society. Jesus comes along and he says, now, here's a parable. The king is coming. He brings his people. And he said, these are going to heaven. These aren't. Now, what does Jesus point out? <laughs> he first says, he said, the righteous. He says to the sheep, he said, you're saved. You will come into my kingdom because... You did good things for people, all right? And he said, in these words, he said, I was thirsty, I was naked, I was in prison, you take care of me. It doesn't matter whether you're pauper, what your race is, whatever your color is, what your likes or dislikes are, whether you're good or a bad person. He said, when you tr do good to the least of these, that's an indication 
that you're in a saved condition. You are ready for my coming. Many times when we study, as Adventists, when we study these parables, we miss the key thing here. Remember, preparation for the coming is not what you study. What you study is to get you the information to get in the right relationship with God. We're never saved by what we do. We're only saved by what Jesus, never by anything we do. Even the greats, Moses and Abraham, God said, I counted righteousness to them. All right. So in this, he says, I'm saving you. I am now letting you know you are prepared for my coming because out of your relationship with me, indicating you're fit for the kingdom of heaven. All right. So I know that you are among the saved. You can know that you're among the saved when you're filled with the Spirit, when you're properly using God's resources. And third, as Jesus pointed out in this parable, when you're taking care of the least of these. Notice what Jesus says in verse 40. When you take care of the least of these, what are they? The poor, the blind, <laughs> those who are marginalized. And we've recognized as we are coming through this pandemic that now it's like all of us are marginalized. If you don't lack resources, <laughs> even those who are in a good place, many have lost their homes. Those who've been in a good place don't have consistent food security, which is part of what we do at the hospital, find it. And of course, in, in, in Douglas County, which we're a part of Douglas County here, to everybody's surprise, Secor, who we partner with as a hospital, we're surprised that in the last two or three years, the need for food security in the most wealthiest, well-to-do places are rising. So what does that mean? You and I have an opportunity to take care of the least of these more than ever. People are mentally unstable. The most brilliant and secure of people. We have seen people come through the hospital from teenagers to your, to your uh, retired, classic, uh, grounded individuals have lost their mind. We're now in a position to help more least of these. Jesus is more available to be supported. I've got to remember when I'm in Chicago and I go by a street corner and somebody's begging. Doesn't matter why they're begging. Doesn't matter whether they did wrong or just got out of jail or stole something or just chose not to work. If I can help them, be of help. It's irrelevant, their background. If you've got an opportunity, Jesus says, remember, when you see those you don't like or it may be scary to you, find a way to help the least of these. Huh. Our country, our country is built on a lot of that in many, many ways. If you're not aware, <laughs> uh, as we think about the times and the classic words of Charles Dickens, it was the best of times and the worst of times. Yeah, it almost seems that uh, it's a time of wisdom and absolute foolishness. <laughs> All that girds us have been thrown out and there's no moral compass. <laughs> it was a season of light and a season of darkness, a sp spring of hope and a winter of despair. Well, what a great opportunity for we as believers to be the hands and the feet of Jesus to take care of the least of these. They're in this hospital, they're in the street. I was just with one of my colleagues up here in the driving range, and they're on the driving range. The least of these go to the country club. They eat in the best restaurants. Uh, whether they have little or have much, all of us are the least of these. They're in our churches, they're in our neighborhood. 
So we have more opportunity than we ever had as a church. Ellen White says over and over again throughout the spirit of prophecy, as the end of time draws near, God through the conditions of the world will create, maximize opportunities for the church and God's people as believers to make an impact and to point people to Jesus. There's no more profound way for people to see Jesus, for them to see him in the light of what we do. In the classic words of Maya Angelou, she says, people may even forget the good you do, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. That's why I asked you earlier, when you think of difference makers, how do you remember feeling? Because be sure of this, while it's good to have a great mentality, the things we remember most from the most brilliant to the most ignorant of persons, we remember best when the information is tied to energized emotion. Anything you remember from a childhood, you remember long-term memory, you receive it and it impacts you because there's been strong emotion <laughs> that has been combined with that information. <laughs> and so it's the best of times, the worst of times. But even here on the shores of America, yeah, we recognize it's time to rise and to rescue, to risk and to help. When Jesus says to the least of these, we can go a little further. That's not necessarily easy to do. <laughs> I remember years ago, I was on my way to church on the Sabbath morning. I was pastoring. I pastored for over 30 years in Chicago area. And uh, hurry, we had a big day, and my wife and the kids had gone ahead. I stopped to see someone at the hospital. I'm headed there just to get there for 11 o'clock service. And I see uh, a vehicle broken down, not on the highway, but actually right in town. Uh, smaller town south of Chicago, like here we are, Castle Rock, and uh, um, said, in spirit of God, just, just pull over and see what they need. Well, the tire was blown, the battery was gone, they were just immobilized. And uh, mother and two daughters, a uh, young um, baby was with them, and they didn't know what to do with it. I was way back in time, we didn't have cell phones. <laughs> Remember, there was a time we didn't have cell phones. Oh my gosh, how do we live? <laughs> pulled off and found out to help and I was able to, and it turned out now that I stopped to help, it wasn't convenient because now they needed a ride in town, they needed a fix for their flat tire and their car was starting to smoke. So that would take more time. So now, do I pass them by? <laughs> do, I, do I say, hey, listen, I gotta hurry, get to church. You got five minutes for me to help you. <laughs> And so I uh, uh, wasn't able to call, so uh, dropped them off initially uh, to their place, went to the church, grabbed a few men. I said, hey, assist me in helping this family. Well, one of the guys was a mechanic, all right? They got, they got the tire changed. They were able to get the, uh, uh, hooked up the vehicle, brought it in town. And it really took the whole day for us to support this family. More time than we've calculated. When we're helping the least of these, it may take more money than you're willing or intended to use. <laughs> I need a ride. Where are you going? Oh, about, I'm going to Pueblo. <laughs> oh, well, didn't plan on that. I only got five minutes. So sometimes when we go to visit someone in prison or help the least of these, it's going to take more maybe than we're ready for. But that's the faith and that's the challenge. And every time we've done it, God always provided. It turned out that Sabbath morning as I got to church late, it turned out the church family needed 
to understand that we pause and our worship that day was helping this family. So we had about 15 people came together to help this family out. I can tell the story. That family eventually, <laughs> we were able to uh, get support to that young single mother um, in time. Um, where someone at the church was able to get her a job in time. They were able to get that car in good shape. The church was able to surround and really give this family good help. Kind of uh, uh, much, like, um, much like the parable in Luke 10. I traveled that road from Jericho to Egypt. <laughs> we were in a tour bus, and it wasn't a good place to break down. <laughs> and uh, it was a hot afternoon, and to see, well, okay, somebody gets, and, and of course, you know, Jesus tells again this parable, this man is traveling, he gets beaten up, he's left for dead, and three individuals pass by, and who ironically stops to help him? The non-church believer. The others were too busy to help the least of these. Jesus tells his parable about the Samaritan who is not considered Christian, who is an outcast, <laughs> and he says, hey, this is how it ought to be. <laughs> the priest went on and passed by. Uh, the Levite came by. Uh, but a Samaritan traveler came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, bandaged him. Now, you got to understand that, that, that culture, as I've read and studied into it. On a road like that, that's like, I told you, I grew up, I, I, I not grew up, but I ministered in Chicago for a There's certain neighborhoods perhaps in Denver, I don't know about here in Castle Rock, you may not have those neighborhoods, that you don't even want to stop long at a stoplight. All right? Uh, somebody may come and try to break your window or, or hijack your car or what have you. There are many places like that in Chicago that you don't even want to go through. I told my wife and daughter, don't even be found on that street, you know, when the sun goes down. But it's dangerous. So it was dangerous for him to stop by and bind the wounds and, 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 and get him together. And he puts him on. And now look at the heart. He goes the extra mile, brought him to an inn, took care of him, and tells the innkeeper, listen, here's the resources for his care. If it costs you any more, I'll pay for it. Jesus said, that's what I'm looking for, the least of these. All of us live here, least of these. They're on the way to work. They're in our neighborhoods. They're all over. And Jesus is saying, when you take care of them, you're taking care of me. It's good to remember Jesus' words, and it's good to have that picture. Whoever we come across that may be threatening or have need or what have you, Jesus said, remember, they are me. <laughs> Years ago um, in Chicago area, we had a group uh, leaving for missionary trip. Um, and um, this group of 20-some medical team, and that trip I was not going on, but we met and we just had time of prayer, and I was just kind of sharing this concept. You know, they were going to Guatemala in a very difficult part for two weeks to give care with little medical equipment, all right, uh, in a third world country. And um, the challenge to say, okay, whatever we as a medical team do, whether they come into our emergency room or they're on a mission trip, we're taking care of Jesus. If there's some way we can lock on to that, even our enemies, if we're taking care of them, we're taking care of Jesus. And Jesus said, that's what I'm looking for. And these are the people who will be saved because they take care of me. I don't know if we have said much about this in our end time teaching, 
But I love what Moses said. I'm a student of Paul, but if Jesus says it, it, excuse the pun, it trumps everybody else. All right? And Jesus says, do like the Samaritan. Take care of me. Everybody out there, good or bad, they represent who I am. So I'm looking for you to take care of me. I don't know how much time it took that man he, to bandage him and to lift him up. <laughs> Even for a man to lift up another dead weight that's wounded, a bruise on top of the mule. Take him the way, probably out of his way, and give him the care that we need. Least of these I had for another program, uh, uh, this slide here. Some examples, you can think of many. This here, I read about many years ago. This is a marathon. I've ran the Chicago Marathon, so I know what it is to run a marathon or a half a marathon. You train for, I trained for quite a few years. I don't run anymore. I'm too old now. My knees have had enough. I walk, I cycle, I swim, but I'm not running anymore. But this is a marathon. Here is an individual that has no hands. This marathon runner from Uganda, she is running beside him. He cannot hold the water. And for most of the race, she holds water and gives to him, which slow down. She's a world-class runner. Uh, winning, thousands of dollars are at stake. She risked her winnings to make sure he was taken care of. She ended up amazingly coming in second in the race. <laughs> Two reasons. He was still a good runner, so they had a good pace. And for 23 of the 26 miles, she offered him water. Wow. Least of these. <laughs> There's another one that's not up there. It, it talks about a Special Olympics in Atlanta in 1993 in which... Uh, 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 special needs were in this race. One guy was in a wheelchair. He got topped over. And the other gentleman, Andrew, was about to cross the finish line. He heard the crash of the wheelchair. Andrew stops from crossing the finish line, goes back, and with the help of others, they get the wheelchair right up, get him in set, and together they cross the finish line. That's the spirit. And we have an opportunity to do that. Dr. King is up here. These are uh, Tuskegee Airmen that stepped in and risked their lives. Uh, this is a group of young people giving back to school supplies. And the list goes on in terms of individuals. This police officer uh, was just near retirement. And a young man pulled up to him and said, Hey, officer, Officer Tony, I believe his name was. He said, he said Officer, thank you. Do you recognize me? The officer says, Young man, unfortunately, I don't. He said, officer, instead of putting me in jail, you took me, you got rehab, you paid for my college tuition. And now I'm an MD. <laughs> just finished, just graduated. Thank you. And of course, the story goes on. Uh, this gentleman, Bo Jackson, <laughs> he paid for all the funeral arrangements for the school massacre in Texas. There are countless ways. Maya Angelou, that's had helped families uh, again and again and again. And my brothers and sisters, Jesus reminds us today, as we go on with our lives, the best way to be prepared for his coming, again, receive his spirit. Be responsible <laughs> with the resources he's given you and care for his children. That might be a tall order, but the good news is whatever Jesus asks us to do, he will enable us to do. This is 
so, so much in tune with what we find. I don't know if you've seen, uh, we're all impressed with the Statue of Liberty. When you get a chance, Google it up the history. But the words that are written on the bottom of the Statue of Liberty are right in tune with what Jesus says. And really, that's how America was founded. Remember, none of us, this is not our country. <laughs> the Native American Indians, it was their country. So none of us belong here. This is not our country. <laughs> and so the, the, the founding of this country is that we're all immigrants. <laughs> I'm from the Caribbean. I moved here from Canada when I started college. This is really God's world. We fight over it. We do all can. But at the Statue of Liberty that embodied the spirit of caring for each other. The word says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. The wretched, the refused, the, to the teeming shores. Send them the homeless, the tempest tots. I lift my lamp beside the golden door to welcome, in Jesus' word, the least of these. What would happen if this congregation would have the reputation that this is the place in which the least of these could belong, could believe, and become. What if you here, as members and believers of this church, what if that's the reputation you had and you spread this with the hospital and you, you engage the community that is known, uh, the Castle Rock area, that's where pff, nobody goes long before being taken care of. Yeah, that would be something to aim for, huh? Of course, Jesus, as my grandmother would say, Leroy, Jesus never asks us to do what he doesn't enable us to do. His biddings are his empowered enablings. And she reminded me, when she sent me to the store, which when I was little and she kind of raised us, it was just a couple of blocks, a long Jamaican mile down the road, <laughs> and we would go to the store. She would give us the list and she would give us the money. And she fed us so we wouldn't faint on the way to the store. And she said, go ahead, because I've enabled you to do what I've asked you to do. I think this is what God is saying. Hey, my friends, as we think of that, as we think of what Jesus is asking us to do, care for others. My dad, one of his love poems all his life, um, I remember him sharing. It's an old one. And it said, let me live by the side of the road while the race of men go by. Quite, quite a few stances. And it says, let me be willing to help. You know, it paints the picture of encouraging people and cheer them on. Like when you're watching a marathon or a race. And let me live by the side of the road. It's a wonderful classic poem. Let me live by the side of the road where the race of people go by. Let me cheer them, encourage them, even give them water and food. And the story is that after the writer wrote that poem, their experience in life where they were down and out, sick, and neighbors took care, they realized, let me rewrite that poem. It's good to live by the side of the road. It's good to have a church in the vicinity of Castle Rock. But how about I get on the road and walk with people and befriend them and help them carry their load and Help them. Let me live on the road with those. Isn't that what God did? He left heaven, came on our road, put on our skin, and he's still journeying with us.
I want to thank you as a congregation because you have a history of, this is not new to you, of helping people. But it's just good to know that it's, you're just not doing it because it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do, but it's the most rewarding thing to do because Jesus says, I know you're ready for my coming by how you take care of one another and people. And let's carry on that legacy of Jesus. <laughs> in the classic words, in the classic word that's given us about how Jesus cared, said, now, now here's where you press it. Here's where you press it. Because it's one thing to say, you know, we as a hospital, we give food away and we do different things. It's one thing to say, let me carry the distance or send missionaries. Um, as our musicians come up, I'll, I'll just say that we are now encouraged and pushed a little bit by Jesus because we're disciples. He's modeling and he said, you can do what I've done. Spirit of Prophecy says, here's the model. Jesus, Jesus mingled with people. And if you read the Bible, you know he risks. Winebibbers, prostitutes, <laughs> the poor, the rich, he mingled with people, desiring their good. Help them with what they needed. And then he said, come, follow me. How do we follow Jesus? And living the legacy of caring for all those who come across our path. Thank God we have the words of Jesus to guide us home and to assure us that he's coming back for us. God bless you.